When folks are first uh, exposed to Christianity, most of, the, um, most of the emphasis, I'll say, is laid on Jesus and what he has done for us and the difference that that can make in our life. But as we move forward, it's important that we not only stay connected to him, but that we look to uh, really explore and, and give ourselves to, uh, a, a, as I said, a meaningful relationship with our Father in heaven. I want to read to you a quote I found this week. It's from a guy by the name of J.I. Packard. He was a uh, very well-known theologian during the 20th century. He said this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and of having God as his father. If this this is not the thought that prompts and controls his whole outlook on life, he does not understand Christianity very well. I really felt like that kind of captures what I've been trying to convey to you over these last few weeks, understanding where we are positioned, where we find ourselves as Christians, as followers of Christ, but beyond that, we are a son, a daughter. We have a father, and that that understanding that deals with a lot of things that you and I struggle with. Of all the names for God, Father is God's favorite. Let me say that to you again, and I can prove it to you. Of all the names for God, Father is God's favorite. We know that it's his favorite name because it's the one he used the most. Not so much people, but the one he used the most. While on earth, Jesus called God Father over 200 times. In Luke, we have the first recorded words that Jesus ever spoke. Of course, when we go back to the Christmas narrative, we don't hear any words coming from Jesus. And the very first words we hear was when Jesus was 12 years old. I don't know if you remember the setting there. They had gone, uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus and family had gone to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And after having gone through the Passover, they left to head back towards home. And it tells us there that after a day's journey, they realized Jesus wasn't with them. So they head back to Jerusalem, and then it says they spent three days looking for him. That's a long time. Three days, that's a long time. They were checking with family members and whatnot. And then they finally found him in the temple area, uh, listening and asking questions of the religious leaders. And as you can imagine, mom is... Is, I mean, you really get a sense that mom is ticked off at this moment, right? And she says to him, you know, 
Where have you been? What are you doing? What are you thinking? This is Jesus now, right? And this is what Jesus said. First words we have recorded out of his mouth. Why is it that you have been searching for me? Did you not know that it is my duty to be engaged in my father's business? From that moment, first recorded words of Jesus Christ, he is speaking of his relationship with the Father. If you know anything about the Gospels, you'll know that it records for us the public ministry of Jesus. And if you, if you read through the Bible or you read through the Gospels, you'll come to discover that it was Jesus using this name for God that got him into all kinds of hot water. There were countless discussions and, and even debates and, and, and arguments, if you will, that by virtue of the fact that Jesus was calling God his Father. 156 times Luke records Jesus talking about the Father. In John's Gospel, in chapter 5, we read these words. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father. The fact that Jesus used this name to refer to the one he was worshiping got him into all kinds of trouble. I would even suggest that it was the very thing that caused him. We know providentially, we know sovereignly, it was God's plan and purpose uh, for Jesus to die for us. But I would suggest to you from an earthly perspective, it was because he was calling God by this name that they actually crucified him. So we have Jesus using this name Father, the very first words that he spoke publicly. We have him using the name Father repeatedly throughout the Gospels. And then as we draw to the last chapters in the Gospel, we see that this name Father is the very last words on his lips. You may remember the last words he spoke according to Luke's Gospels as he was hanging there on the cross were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then in Luke's Gospel it says, then he breathed his last and died. It is so hard for us to understand how revolutionary it was for Jesus to use the term Father for God. You and I, we, we, we've grown up with that. We, we were taught to pray like that. We, but, but in this moment, there was a shift taking place. In, under the old uh, order, if you will, um, even when the scribes went to translate uh, Scripture, whenever they came to the name of God, they would take the pen that they were using 
and they would clean it afresh. In fact, they took it a step farther as, as vessels writing the, penning the very words of God. They would go and take a bath before they ever wrote the name Yahweh or, or Elohim or Jehovah, they would make sure that there was such a, a, a purification, if you will, before they even, even dared write the name of God. And now we have Jesus coming along and using a familial term in reference to who God is, Father. Not just Father, but Abba, Father. It was a common practice uh, in their time to use this term in everyday language, this, this term Abba. It was a title that, that was meant to be, um, you know, homey, if you will, family, if you will. And Jesus is using it to call God by that name. I want to be clear this morning. Um, some of you have probably heard the name Abba before, and you're immediately thinking a, sw a Swedish band back in the 70s, right? I grew up with Abba, so uh, whenever I hear that term, I can't help but think of that band. But I just want to be clear, that's not what I'm talking about this morning. So when you hear me use the phrase Abba, don't think Swedish band, rock band, back in the 70s. Rather, it is an Aramaic word for the name Father. Nearly every language on earth, at least the ones we know of, every language on earth has such homey, familiar terms for Father. If we were to use our own language, we, we, it, it might be rendered this way, Dada or Daddy. Right? From the very time a baby is born, parents are trying to get them to say something of that nature. Dada. In Spanish, the word they use is Papa. In Indonesian, it's the word Bapa. B-A-P-A. -A. In Turkish, it's Baba. When our grandchildren... I don't even remember what my, our, my own children, I don't know what you guys called me. Dad. But when our grandchildren uh, were first born, Hela in particular, our oldest, uh, she, we were trying to get her to you know, call us by a particular name, and, and, it, and, and it ended up Bumpa stuck. For me, Bumpa ended up sticking, and they still... I think you guys still call me Bumpa to this day. It's a, it's a term of endearment, right? None of you call me Bumpa. <laughs> and I'm good with that, okay? <laughs> but my grandchildren, there's, a, there's a, a connection, if you will. There's a relationship that I have with them that I don't have with you. And so when Jesus refers to his father as Abba, Daddy, Papa, 
It was done so not out of irreverence. It was done so out of a relationship that they had that Jesus is pointing us to. He's wanting us to have the same kind of relationship with Father God that he knew with Father God. That's why he gives us permission. You may remember when his disciples said, Lord, could you teach us how to pray? And the very first words he starts out with is not Yahweh, Elohim, Jehovah. No, he says, pray like this, our Father. They're like, what? Our Father. Jesus gave them permission. He endorsed the notion of us having such a relationship with God that we could call him Father, Daddy, Abba. Maybe not Bumpa. There is something in the human heart that yearns for that kind of relationship. There is this innate yearning and desire in all of us. It's universal. That we would have someone in our life that loves us unconditionally and is there for us in such a way that we could reference them in terms of daddy, mommy, papa. Sometimes people find themselves going through life searching for such a connection, and they try to find it in romantic relationships. They try to find it through establishing a, a public persona, a reputation, if you will. Some people look for it in financial security. They're just looking for something to feel at rest in their soul. Some people are aware of they're doing this. Most people don't. They don't understand that this yearning in their soul, this longing that's been there since birth, is for a, a relationship with Abba Father. Paul pointed to this in the verse that I focused in on last week. I want to take you back to that verse again this morning. Paul pointed to this inborn innate yearning and desire in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, where he wrote this. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry, Abba, Father. Let's try that again. By which we cry? Abba, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. 
I want to try to unpack this a little bit more this morning. Last week I took you there simply so that we could reference this notion or this idea that we've been adopted. But I want to talk about what, what it is that Paul is getting to here in this particular few verses. I want to start by saying, if you are in Christ, which is a refrain throughout the New Testament, particularly in Paul's letters, if you are in Christ, meaning you have embraced Christ, meaning you have understood the nature of his, of his death, burial, and resurrection for you personally and have, have, have subscribed to that, if you are in Christ, You are, Paul is saying, you don't need to be, you don't need to live life like a slave. And particularly a slave in fear. You do not need to be afraid. You are a son and daughter who stands secure in the Father's love. God the Father answers the yearning that we have in our hearts as children that through the work that Christ has done to us, we have been set free to call God our Father. That is an amazing thing. You don't have to worry about wiping off the pen. You don't have to go and shower yourself every time you want to talk to God or every time you want to write down his name. Because of what Christ has done, we can walk right in and call him daddy. The spirit of slavery which Paul is referencing here, and says, in Christ, we did not receive the spirit of slavery. Slavery, or the spirit of slavery, is where we look to fulfill this most basic need that we have as human beings, this need to be loved, valued, wanted, All of those things uh, secure, right? This basic need that we have as human beings. Paul says when you're doing life from a spirit of slavery, we look to fulfill this need through other means than God our Father. We try to find satisfaction, security, and meaning and purpose in life from another person or another thing. Now, it doesn't mean that those people or things are bad things. People do go to negative things in life to try to find some fulfillment. But you can, all of us can be trying to find what our hearts are really longing for in a relationship with our Heavenly Father through the people and things of this world. And here's what ends up happening. Because we need blank right? This picture of blank. Fill in the blank. It could, be, it could be people. It could be money. It could be family. It could be romance, freedom, career, whatever. Fill in the blank. But because we need blank to f- try to fulfill the mammoth need that we have, we soon become slaves to blank. Whatever you put in the blank, you become a slave to that. If it's anything other than 
an intimate relationship with God the Father. And as is always the case, along with becoming a slave to something, fear is the natural outgrowth from that. Fear that you won't have enough. Blank, fill in the blank. Fear that blank won't uh, be there for me. Fear that blank will get ruined, etc., etc., etc. In short, we become fearful of our situations and circumstances. When less than positive things happen to us, we immediately begin to question and question life and feel forsaken because blank can't meet that massive need in my heart and in my life. That's how the spirit of slavery works. Paul says, you didn't receive that. When you came to Christ, you, you got delivered from that. You don't have to live like that any longer. You don't have to go around trying to find purpose, meaning, and fulfillment in other things in life because you now have a Father who loves you, who knows you better than you know yourself, and, and, and put in a plan so that everything that you need could be taken care of. Paul says, instead of a spirit of slavery, you have received a spirit of adoption. Some people refer to this as sonship, a spirit of sonship. Again, not to, uh, you know, I know we got all this uh, male-female thing going on right now. This isn't to exclude ladies. We're not trying to, you know, put you on the back burner or anything. It's simply a way of describing children, children. We are the daughter of, the son of someone, right? Paul says, in adoption, we cry out, Abba, Father. He goes on to say, the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of God testifies with our spirit. We were all born with the Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit testifies, in other words, there's a connection made there in our hearts that we are children of God. You know, I've heard people say to me along the way, uh, you know, in all these years of doing things, well, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I would say to anyone who would ask that question, if you if you know there's been a connection made and your spirit understands that you are a child of God, you are saved. Regardless of what the enemy tries to tell you. In that inner witness that Paul is here talking about, a transformation takes place where we no longer see ourselves as slaves who need to live in fear, but as sons and daughters who stand secure in the Father's love. No longer do we have to keep making sure blank, whatever blank is, does not slip away. Instead, meaning and satisfaction are given to us as a gift from the Father to us in making us his son and daughter. I want, to, I want you to listen to, the, or you know, read it with me, but just listen as I read. 1 John 3, 1. This is how John says the same thing. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Children of God. 
I want to pause right here. I wrote it in my notes, pause. Put, I put pause there. I want you to think about that for a minute. I could keep rabbling on and talking along, but I want you to think about that for, for just a moment. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called the children of God. Think about that. You, right where you sit, right now. A child of God. An heir of God. A co-heir with Jesus Christ. I can't, you know, as I ponder that, I sat in my office for 15, 20 minutes and I'm trying to wrap my brain around that. That God sees me as his son. That God sees you as his daughter. It's a mind blower. That we can call him Abba, Father. Think about that. You know, there's a reason why the writers of Scripture put exclamation points after that. I don't know if you did on the screen. Are they there? Okay, that's from Scripture, the exclamation point. Because that's the, that's the Greek language trying to say, this is a truth that you better uh, stop and pause and think about. Don't, don't, don't take this for granted. Do you remember the part of the prodigal son story where the younger son, after coming to his senses, devises this plan. Remember, he's, he's been out there you know, feeding pigs and longing to eat the food that the pigs are eating, and no one gives him anything. And then it says, he came to his senses. And he began to think about, you know what? I could go back to my father's house, and I, it would be better off for me to go back and live there as a servant or a slave in his house than it would be to be where I'm at right now. Says he starts thinking about these things. And then it says he devises a plan that he will go to the Father and that he will uh, say how sorry he is and that he will make this offer. Father, if you will simply allow me to be back here in your house, I will, I will serve you the remainder of my days. Remember that? That's, a, that's, that's the plan he came up with. He had a spirit of slavery thinking. That's what he had. He thought, if I go back and somehow the Father finds enough grace and mercy for me, maybe I can, maybe I can serve in his house as a slave. And he actually saw that as better than where he was at in the moment. Do you remember the older son? Remember the older son? The older son was ticked off, yacked off, when he saw all the things that were, all the good things that were happening for this younger brother, right? The older son, who never left home, 
also lived in the father's house with the spirit of slavery. How do I know that? Because when he was all yacked off and, he, and the father ended up coming to him, the, the older son says, haven't I served you? Haven't I, like a slave, this whole time stayed at home serving you? Right? He, he saw his relationship to the father as one of a servant or slave's role. Can I just say this to you this morning? Some people have come home to live at the Father's house, but they do so with a spirit of slavery. They still think they have to earn the Father's good grace. They think they they somehow still have to earn His love and approval. Paul says, you did not receive a spirit of slavery that leads to fear. Instead, you received a spirit of adoption that makes you a son or a daughter of God. When the son finally makes his way home to the father's house, and after their initial greeting, he, he goes through with his proposal. You know, I am, I'm here, you know, Father, forgive me, and, uh, you know, I'll serve you as, as, a, as a servant, right? Now, I want you, if you went back and looked at that story in Luke 15, you would find out that it doesn't say, it does not say that the Father thought about that. The Father doesn't go, hmm. Let me think about that. It doesn't say, well, that's, that, that's right, son. That's the way it should be. After everything I gave you and you squandered all of it, I think it's about high time that you earn your keep around here. It doesn't say that. You know what it says? This is what it says. After this younger son made his proposal, it says this. But the father said, but the father said. The word but in the Greek there is a conjunction. And using it in the way that they did in this moment, it's contrasting two ideas. It's contrasting two different ways of looking at things. And, and, This particular word, but, but the father said, but is saying that what's about to be said totally trumps what just got said. You with me? So the the son is saying, well, you know, father, I've sinned, I've blown it, I've screwed up, but I'm willing to serve you all the rest of the days of my life if you'll let me come back here at home. Whatever that spirit of slavery was on that son in that moment. But the father said. You remember what the father said? Bring out the best robe for him. Bring out that ring. You know that ring? Bring that ring out. Bring out some sandals and put them on his feet. Hey, and by the way, 
that calf that we've been fattening up out back, bring that, kill that thing, we're having a feast. The father did not say, well, son, it's about time you came to your senses. I'm glad you finally figured this thing out, and, you know, it's going to be a little rough on you around here for a while. That's what we would say as fathers, right? That's our mode of operandi. You know, I'll, I'll show him, I'll, I'll, I'll put him in his place, but he won't ever do that again, you know. Not this father. Not this father. He said, I need the robe. I need the ring. I need some new Reeboks. And I need some ribeye. I need that. I need that. I got to have them all. And there's a reason why he asked for those things. If you research the Bible, you'll find out that robes play a significant part throughout Scripture. And what they are a sign of is honor and blessing. What that father was saying about that younger son in that moment was, you have my blessing again. Your home, that's all that matters. You have my blessing. When he told him to get the ring, it was, it was a sign of restoring responsibility and authority back to his role as a son of the father. When he said, get those shoes and put them back on him, shoes, only slaves went barefoot. And when he said, when he said make sure you grab that fattest calf out back, he was saying, we're going to have a celebration that's going to go public here. I want everybody to know that this son of mine has been fully restored. He is back home, and he is back, not only back in the house, he is back in my good graces. That's the spirit of adoption. The spirit of slavery tries to figure out, how can I work for God's approval in my life? A spirit of adoption says, aha, I understand how blessed I am. I understand how favored I am. I understand how I have both responsibility and authority being a son or daughter of the Father. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the older brother who, was, who stayed at home, did I say that? The older brother stayed at home. He was still a mess. He was pouting about what he perceived as unfair treatment. What does the father say to him? My son. My son. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. The older brother had this misconception of things as they really were. I don't know if any of you know what a misconception is. A misconception is a view or opinion that is incorrect 
based upon faulty thinking or understanding. Jesus, in telling this story, which I'll get to what he was really addressing in just a second, but Jesus, in telling this story, is trying to get to some wrong thinking. In this whole parable of the prodigal, we always tend to put all the emphasis on, you know, the, the son. The son left, the son riotous living, the son, the son came to his senses, the son came home. But really, this story is about Jesus trying to correct the misperceptions of how people saw God. And so in the, in the play, if you will, in the story, Jesus is really addressing the misguided thinking of the, of the Jews who were trying to be good Jews, who were trying to be the older son living at home, never being naughty always living by the written code and doing things just the way they thought God wanted them done. He's addressing them and saying, listen, what you're doing is the spirit of slavery. You don't have to do it that way. You are the older son in the story here. But at the same time, he's addressing the sinners. He's addressing the Jews who weren't living the best of life. He's, uh, in a broader picture, addressing the Gentiles who were apart from God and would need to come home to God. But in their coming home to God, they don't have to do what the, what the Jews that never left home are trying to do. Does that make sense? I don't want to lose you. That's the big picture. On both accounts, Jesus is saying, no. Don't come home with the spirit of slavery and don't live in the house with the spirit of slavery. You are sons. You are daughters. When you come home to live with the Father, you do so as an heir and a joint heir with Jesus. The Father is saying, all that I have is yours. That one assumption, that one assurance should change the way we view everything. It's what the J.I. Packer guy that I quoted to you in the very beginning when you really grab hold of God as your Father, it should change the way you do life. It should change the way you assess things. We don't have to pimp ourselves out to anyone or anything to find a sense of purpose, meaning, and security in life. No one, nothing. When we usually think of adoption, and I close with this, we usually think about babies or young children. Interesting fact that adoption was quite rare in the, uh, in the Jewish way of doing life for a couple of reasons. One, 
Most couples were blessed to have lots of children. But the second reason is because they had a system in place, or I should say God set a system in place, whereby if a father died, that there would be a brother or a family member who would step in and make sure the needs of his children were, were, were taken care of. It was just the way it worked. It was much more of a bigger family notion or ideas. But when the New Testament was written, and this word, Paul uses this word adoption, the cultures that people were living in at that time were very much Romanized. In other words, uh, you know, they had permitted the Jews to kind of have their style of worship and so forth and so on, but the culture itself was very much permeated by the way the Romans did things. You remember, I quoted to you the verse from Romans, Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, where Paul uses the word adoption. In the Roman way of doing things, adoption was very much a part of the culture. In fact, it was not just for young children. It was also used of older young men so that they could become a family heir of a particular family. For example, let me, let me example that for you. Uh, we just, wasn't that long ago, we came through uh, the, the Christmas story. And you remember during the Christmas story, there is a verse. We always hear it. Every, every time we read the, on Christmas Eve, we hear it. In the days of, you remember the guy's name? Caesar Augustus. In the days of Caesar Augustus, there was a decision made that everyone should have to, a census should be taken. Remember that? In the days of Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar, who was he? He was, a, he was the first one to reign as a Roman emperor from 27 B.C. to 14 A.D. So during this period of time, uh, Christ's birth and there, there a little bit after, he is the dude. He is King Kahuna Hunter, right? He is the guy. Did you know that he was adopted? Yeah, thank you for Caesar Augustus. Census to be taken. Top dude in Rome, adopted. He was adopted, and it wasn't because he didn't have a family. He was actually born into a quite nice family himself. But as history tells us, his maternal uncle, uh, you know this name too, Julius Caesar, when he was assassinated in 44 B.C., before, uh, I'm getting these names all screwed up, but you, you, know, you follow with me here. Caesar Augustus was originally called Octavius. Dave, I got it right? He's shaking his head yes. He's our historian right over here. He's keeping me straight. I just look. We're good. Okay. So Caesar Augustus was really Octavius 
And it said in Julius Caesar's will that as his, he, that, that Octavius was his adopted son and heir. As a result, he inherited Caesar's name, Caesar's estate, and all of his loyal compadres, if you will. Now, a friend of the family, a family relative actually, but also a friend of Julius Caesar, a guy by, oh, all of this happened to Caesar Augustus when he was 18 years old. So we're not talking a little, little boy here, we're talking grown up. All of a sudden, Julius Caesar dies and he becomes the heir to Julius Caesar's throne, right? Now, another friend, a family member and close friend of the family, another guy you've heard of, Mark Anthony. Right? He's, he's famous for saying these words to Caesar Augustus. You, boy, owe everything to your name. Now, why do I tell you that quote? Because this is what I want you to see. Adoption has tremendous implications. Octavius would have never become the kahuna hunter of Rome had he not been adopted. Nice guy and everything, right? Come from a good family. But it was what Julius Caesar did to make him an heir that enabled him to find himself on the top rung of the ladder. The you and I, as you sit here and I stand here this morning, are no different. We owe it all to the name. All to the name. Last week after the service, Marcella Reedy came up to me and said something I felt was significant. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, the Reedy's adopted 13 children. I should hear a collective gasp right now. <laughs> she told me last Sunday after the service, she said, Pastor Jeff, every time we would go to sign the paper and make it legal, and I asked her to write it down so I don't want to misquote this. This is what the lawyer would say to them. Remember, adoption isn't just for today, so make sure they are in your will. I got it right? Make sure they are in your will. Can I translate that? Make sure they're in your inheritance. I want to leave us with this thought this morning. Like the father said to the older son, everything I have is yours. Everything I have. You're not going to get just a, a third. You know, people argue over estates when they get settled, right? Right? I, I got the right community here. I find myself being drawn into these discussions sometimes. 
But people argue about stuff. Well, I wanted this, and I wanted that, and I should have got this, and I should have got that. This father says, your father says to you, everything I have is yours. All of it. All the love, all the strength, all the security, everything your heart craves, it's all yours. You don't have to look for it in someone else or in something else, all that I have, every, every heart I have for you, it's all yours. Receive it. Adoption is not something you earn, it's something you receive. Receive it. Receive it. Don't go out of here today thinking you've got a slave for someone or something to feel a sense of meaning and purpose in your life? Walk in the truth that you can call God your father. Are you crazy? For you have not received a spirit of slavery to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which you can cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. We owe it all to him. We owe it all to him. Everybody all good? I don't know why God keeps bringing us back to this thing, but I think he wants us really sound really sound in our hearts, sound in our, our minds. You know, so that when things start going sideways, whether it's on a personal note, on a cultural note, on whatever, when things start going sideways, we start questioning stuff. And if there's one thing God doesn't want us to question, it's who we are in him. You are my son. You are my daughter. All that I have is yours. Bring out, bring it out. Bring out the robe. Bring out the, the ring, the shoes, the food. Bring it out. That's how your Father in heaven sees you. You don't have to earn anything. Those days are over. That was in our previous life. You simply receive what he has. Would you stand as we pray? Father, as I stand here and I, I hear myself saying these things or preaching these things or telling other, the, others these things and And I just know it's one thing to hear it. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing for us to genuinely believe it. I think we've, we, we, we have become so familiar with calling you by the name Father that somehow we, you know, it just gets lost in the sauce. 
It doesn't seem to have the, the full reverberations in our heart that it should. That we would be called children of yours. And that is what we are. Holy moly. Lord, I pray that across this room, as we navigate our, life, our way through this very insecure world that we live in, I pray that that, that spirit of adoption, Lord, would be the permeating spirit in our hearts and lives. And that we could live out of the confidence of knowing that, understanding that, having that truth literally permeate all of our decisions, all of our standing in life. That it would be the overarching view of how we see things. I pray for every son and daughter that is standing here right now. That as we go from this place, we would walk worthy of the name we have received. And that we would this week, Lord, that this wouldn't be the only time that we talk to you is when we're here. But as we go out with our week, Lord, that we would find your name, Abba Father, on our lips. And it would give us the confidence that we need to accomplish whatever you have before us this week. And it's in your name, our Father, we pray. Amen.